0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarvestLakeshore.org. Daniel chapter
1: 12, starting in verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days." This is the word of the Lord. You shall be. You may be seated. Thanks, Tony.
0: He reads so dignified. You shall be seated. I love it. Welcome to those of you who are at home joining us, uh, worshiping there, and so grateful to be worshiping with all of you this morning. Well, a uh, story to share with you: A toddler went out for a walk with his mother. As they walked along, they came across a dead bird lying beside the road. After bending over it and examining it closely with all the seriousness that a toddler has, encountering something that they've never experienced before, the boy looked up at his mother and said, It can't be fixed, Mommy, can it? to which she only could respond, no, son, it can't be fixed. The apocalyptic parts of our Bible, like the book of Daniel, remind us that we live in a world that can't be fixed. The world that we live in needs a complete overhaul A complete renewal, life given to it afresh that that we can't fix with earthly kingdoms, with structures that we put in place. As we've learned in recent weeks, in the end, things are going to get worse. But in the absolute end, everything that is broken will be made whole. Whole. And that will only come at the coming of Christ's kingdom. But until then, brokenness, suffering, pain, persecution, those are going to continue for those who are found in Christ. And that, that's the life that Daniel experienced as we've studied his 90-some years of his life, 70 years in exile, trial after trial after trial. The people of God had lost everything. There seemed to be glimmers of hope, but it seemed to not go away. Even when God's people were sent back to their land to begin to rebuild their temple, that there was opposition for them and discouragement The people of God would have been wondering in this time, how long before we can expect change? How long are we going to be experiencing this suffering and brokenness? Well, as we end Daniel, as we come to chapter 12, Daniel gives us 10 certainties to help prepare us for the end, for the end of all things. Last week we covered the first 5 which are briefly these. Uh, there will come a time of trouble. There is a special book that will be opened which is the lamb's book of life for those who trust in Jesus they'll have their name written in that book. There's going to come a resurrection for everyone. We learned that every single person is an eternal being. It's just where will we spend eternity? There will be a great transformation. Our bodies will be transformed into a form that will display God's glory. And then fifthly, we learned that there's an anticipated message that the revelation of Jesus Christ has come. They were anticipating that message. We have the benefit of being on this side of the cross. But there's five more. Number six is this, certainty. There will be a defined time of trouble. So not just that there's going to be a time of trouble, but it's going to be a defined time of trouble. Look at your Bibles. So as it's already been read, then I, Daniel, starting in verse 5, looked and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? So Daniel's seeing this picture, and there's this exchange between these two individuals. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. And then Daniel, so he hears hears this description, and he doesn't get it. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. I don't know if you've ever had this experience uh, being in a seminar or being in a classroom and uh, the the person who's instructing says something and you just don't get it. And you're not really sure if you're going to ask the question. I'm not sure. Can you explain that? But somebody else asks a question, right? They ask, hey, can you explain that a little bit more? And then the instructor or teacher explains it and then you're still sitting there like that didn't help me at all. And then you're like, okay, um, I don't understand it either. Could you explain some more? And then there's a little bit of more explanation. And then you smile and you close your book up and you walk out of the class and you still don't know uh, what you didn't know when you started the class. You're the same way as you walk out of the class. I don't know if you experienced that in school. Uh, I did that on, on regular occasions in certain classes. And this is what it kind of feels like for Daniel in this moment. Someone asks, How long is it going to be? Something is told and it doesn't make sense. And he's like, Hey, I'm not sure. Will you explain it? And then it doesn't seem to make any more sense for Daniel. Hey, these are just going to be shut up in the book. It says, How long? And they they give a description time, times, and half a time in verse seven. There's much debate on what this exact time frame is. Is it three and a half years? Is it just an imagery of it's half of a complete period of judgment? Is it neither? Is it both? Really smart people have debated this for hundreds of years. What does this exactly mean? But as you read apocalyptic literature like Daniel... Focus on what you do know more than what you don't. Not that we shouldn't be to have a diligent search to try to discern what are the particulars that are there, but there's so much here that we have to focus on that, that we do understand rather than spending time focusing on the things that super smart people haven't been able to figure out for generations. So as we focus on what we do see, we can see that suffering is not absent from the life of God's covenant people but it will not last forever. Though suffering is a part of, of what we experience walking with Jesus, there's a time where it will be finished. At the end of verse seven, it says, and at the end, all things would be finished. What is most important is that the time of trouble has a predetermined endpoint. And the end will come when God is done, not when we think it should be done, but, but it will come at the perfect time that God has ordained it to happen. And so I know knowing that trouble is coming or when you're in the midst of it, it can tempt us. We can be tempted to be discouraged or even fearful. Following Jesus, we might lose our house. We could lose our earthly possessions. We could lose family relationships. We could be ostracized by those in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. We could lose our life. So what is going to get us through after spending years in prison? What will help us to endure when we have lost everything? We need to know that this present situation is not going to last forever. And we can be so short-sighted. I know as a child, I was super short-sighted in a trial that I, ex- that I experienced that I caused on my own, okay? I was in Sunday school and I was fiddling with a pencil when I should have been paying attention and I stabbed myself with the pencil. I know How do you stab yourself with a pencil? I don't know, but I did. And the lead broke off in my hand. So of course, my parents loved me and took me to the doctor. And the doctor did that which was not pleasant for me. It was not an exciting experience as he put Novocaine in my hand and then went digging around in my hand. And before it happened, I started screaming. While it was going on, I was screaming, And if I would have simply known this would only last a short time, it would have made all the difference in the world. Hebrews 12 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. God is working in you in the time of trouble. What we know is the Lord has ordained a season of suffering for the saints between his first coming and his second coming. But the Bible, and we also know that the Bible doesn't have any expectation of a gradual Christianization of the world, as we've already learned about. I mean, it says in chapter 7, when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes. Hardship and suffering come Before the end. I know this is hard to swallow, but it's not hopeless. Why is it not hopeless? Because Jesus said in Mark chapter one, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There's hope in today because Jesus has come. Some of the fulfillment of the things that Daniel talked about throughout the book, we're going to be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ's coming. And so the response isn't, oh no, the response is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Jesus has come. We don't look at an end with suffering and trial with hopelessness. We have hope because of Christ. And if you're experiencing the anxiety welling up within you as you consider the trials that you have experienced or could experience, They should point us to Christ because he's come. The Prince of Peace has come. There's no longer endless uncertainty. The wonderful counselor, uh, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace has come. And he calls us to take up our cross and to follow him. So I implore you to follow Christ. And if you respond to that call, that that you continue walking, knowing that he is with you, anticipate he will come again at a time that God only knows. This time of trouble has a defined end. Even Jesus doesn't know the exact time. He's waiting. When God says go, he's going to come back. But he will come back. So it's certain that the time of trouble is defined. But the trouble isn't for anything because there's going to be a season of refinement. There will be refinement. Look at verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. Certainly there's actions that we take to grow in Holiness. We have a conviction to abide in Christ because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We have a conviction to connect with others in this context on Sunday morning in our small groups so that we can stir one another up to love and good works. That's part of the process of growing and using our gifts and sharing Christ with others. So those are, those are steps we're going to take in the growth process as we purify ourselves. But, the, but we also go through trials, and those trials reveal things. And the trials that we go through aren't unnecessary. God uses them. To reveal His work in us, First Peter says this in verses uh, six, uh, chapter one, verses six and seven. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hard things that we go through reveal God's work in us. Hard things that we go through reveal God's work. In us. One theologian wrote, he says, there's nothing intrinsically purifying about fiery trials in themselves, and we should not seek them for our own sake. It's not that we seek them out to earn some kind of favor with God. He says, the refiner's fire does not create the pure metal. It simply reveals it if you put metallic ore into the crucible. The pure metal will sink to the bottom and you can remove the slag from the top. However, if what you put in the crucible is dross to begin with, you will get out nothing but dross. The fire simply reveals the true nature of the material being refined. So too in Daniel 12, then those when those who are wise go through trials, they are purified, made spotless and refined. Yet, in the same circumstances, the wicked continue to be wicked. What what comes out of you when trials come? It's revealing what is there, but don't be discouraged if you see something that you don't like. God's revealing what is there so that he can grow you and refine you, so that he can strengthen you. I can think about my own life. There was a season early on as a Christian. This is kind of a small thing. But man, I was, I was wound way too tight. Uh, I, when, when I would go to church, I had, I had a Bible cover. I know, I know you, some of you young people don't know what that is because your Bible's on your phone. But we had these things they were Bible covers. And, and mine was perfect. And when I took notes and I was done taking notes, I perfectly folded the page in half. And I kept everything just right. And at the time I was dating my wife, if she happened to pick up my stuff, she would just kind of like, you know, throw it together, slap it, and we'd be out. And it would just send me through the roof. I was like, how can you do that? I was wound a little tight. Okay. That just revealed that God needed to do more work in me. Fast forward 20 years. God did work in me over time. After church one Sunday, I had my guitar sitting on a stand just like that, and someone was picking up after church, pulled the cord, and the guitar fell down, and the neck broke. That's not a good thing when the neck of your guitar breaks. Please don't do that to Wes's guitar just to see what, what's going on in his heart. So you would think, knowing how I responded to my pages being ruffled, that I would have been livid. But the first thing that happened, I went up to the gal who had knocked it over, and I said, hey, it's okay. Like These things happen. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. That's because God had done a work in me. I was just as amazed. I went home, and I was like, this is my first guitar. It's broken. I don't know why I didn't flip out in that moment. Why? Because God had been at work. And God is at work in you. So the trials that you experience, even when you see things that you don't like, God has revealed things to you to to bring conviction so they will help you to grow. And then you will see as you walk through future trials, when the fire comes again, there's change that happens. And he's revealing the work that he is doing in you. So don't don't push back when trials come. Don't think, well, well, if there's no trials, that must be a good thing. No, God wants to reveal the work that he is doing in you to bring him glory. So they will come and they have come. Some of you may be experiencing that right now, but I want you to know he is working in you during this time of refinement Another certainty, number eight, there will come a time of understanding and misunderstanding. Look at the second half of of verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. It says the wicked will act wickedly. Ephesians chapter 4 gives us a description of of what what the wicked looked like. It says in verse 18 and 19, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The wicked aren't just those who, you can tend to think about being wicked, well, like the the Hitler-type individual, or the individual who's just massively going out and hurting people. Like, we tend to think that that's the wicked. But no, the wicked are all who, who don't have conviction who don't have a a moral compass. They're eager to practice sin. So they're not going to get it. And we need to not be surprised when they don't get it. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, when sin is celebrated. We certainly don't like it, and it it should make us uncomfortable because it's not bringing glory to our God, but don't be surprised when it comes because it says none of the wicked shall understand. What they need is for Christ to open their eyes, for the Holy Spirit to come and to bring conviction, you can't fight it in the natural. This is, not, this is not a war in flesh and blood. This is a war that we need to pray in the heavenlies, as we've learned earlier on in Daniel. But they're not going to understand, so don't be surprised when they don't understand. But for us, the wise, we see the world through the lens of Scripture. Because the wise understand, and how do we get understanding? We get understanding, we're starting with the fear of the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as you read through the book of Proverbs, you gain wisdom by reading his word, that's why we are going to press into God's word in the coming year, because we want to have understanding as a church. We want to stir up one another to the things of God so that he will be glorified. We're not just wanting to have a, a, a Bible reading plan so that everybody can have something to check off the list so we can feel good about ourselves. No, we have the opportunity to encounter God and to get understanding. You want to have more clarity in your life? We study the word of God. Because he's the one who created the world. All things were made through Christ. Apart from him not, was not anything that was made. So we want to have a greater understanding of the world. Let's, let's dig into God's word together and delight in the discovery process that we are going to have as we read through the scriptures together. There's nothing else that we could do in our schedules that will give us the kind of life than, than soaking in his word Because God's word is the only true source of spiritual insight. That's where we get understanding. We live in a world like Daniel where God's enemies resist his purposes. But there's hope. There's hope because there's going to be blessing for those Who endure. Certainly, we're going to have understanding by digging into God's word, but there's blessing for those who endure. That's number nine. Verse 11 says this And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. So you're probably wondering, well, what do all those days mean? And how come there's a difference between the days in verse 11 and verse 12? Is there a significance between the number? I mean, I can't do the math real quick. What's the difference in those things? I'm sure there's some significance there. Again, there is not a single commentator that I have read who speaks with absolute certainty this is what those numbers mean. Again, as we study apocalyptic literature, whether it's Daniel or Isaiah or Jeremiah or the book of Revelation, we need to to focus on the things that we do know, not the things that we don't know. Here's what we know trials are limited because of God's mercy. Because the abomination that makes desolate only has a certain number of days. Because of God's mercy, those days will be cut short, as we've learned already. Truth is that God promises his blessing. In his timing to those who are faithful through trials. Blessed is he who waits and arrives. Blessed is he who waits and arrives. Not, not blessed is he who's awesome. Not, hey, let's pull up our bootstraps like Daniel and let's just be like Daniel. Oftentimes, the book of Daniel is studied like, here's Daniel, go be like Daniel. If you can be like Daniel, you'll be awesome like Daniel. Let's just go be like Daniel. But really, as we study Daniel, we can obey in the midst of pain, trusting in God's wisdom and not ours. That's what we learn from the book of Daniel. Not that Daniel was awesome, but that God was awesome. When we studied chapter one, we see that Daniel and some of his friends followed God rather than man by eating only vegetables for 10 days. They were only in their 20s probably at that time, and they sought to honor the Lord In the face of opposition, in the face of being coerced by the leaders, and what happened? God was glorified. Chapter 2, Daniel prayed with his friends in the face of death. God gives him the interpretation of a dream that delivers not only him, but a whole bunch of other wise individuals. Chapter 3, Daniel's friends do not bow to the golden image Remember, they're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. They don't, they're not going to get thrown. They end up getting thrown in the fire furnace. Right before they get thrown in the fiery furnace, they say, we're going to trust in our God. But if he doesn't deliver us, but if not, remember that statement? But if not, if he doesn't deliver us, we're going to trust him anyway. And God delivers them. They go into the furnace and they're not even singed. They come out and their clothes don't even smell like smoke. That's not something that they did. That's something that God did. And then chapter 6, Daniel prays in the face of the lion's den. When he's probably in his 80s. Is it some strength that Daniel got himself out of the lion's den? I don't know about you, but I'm, when I'm at the zoo, I'm glad there is a, usually a large ditch and fence between me and the lions. I'm totally cool with that. I'm totally cool with being as far away as I can from them. Daniel isn't going to muscle his way out of it. No, God had to move, and he did move. In all those circumstances, Daniel and his friends didn't know that they would be delivered. We've read the story. So we're like, yeah, it's totally fine. But in the midst of that, they didn't know. And you may feel in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your suffering, what is going to happen? And your hope isn't in getting through that or even being delivered from it. Your hope is in a faithful God. Your hope is in the same God who met Daniel. The world says to us, strength and glory now. But the scriptures reveal that suffering is the norm. Blessed is the one who waits and arrives to the very end. We are sustained to the very end because of God's grace. But the end is not the end. It's not just like, let's just get to the end and okay, we're, we're done. There's actually another age after the end, an age of glory and rest for those who've been found faithful. So certainty number 10 that we find in this chapter is there will be rest at the end. I know I'm longing for rest in this season of time, but this is what it says but go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. The communication to Daniel isn't, go live your best life now, Daniel. The communication to Daniel isn't, it's going to be amazing for you, just do these few things and you're going to have this amazing victorious life right now. God's going to just add so much to you, bless you. And now God's going to bless him for sure. But not in a worldly sense. No, he just simply says, but go your way till the end. But where's the hope? The hope is in what happens at the end. You shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. I don't know if you've ever read the Lord of the Rings Trilogy, or if you've watched the movies. I I didn't like reading growing up, so I didn't read the books. I watched the movies. Full disclosure. But whether you read the books or whether you watch the movies as you navigate through the story, if you have never read them or if you don't know how it ends, like it's hopeless most of the way through. Like, I remember watching the first movie at the end of the first book, and you're like, when's the last time I got fired up for, like, a three-hour movie, the end on a downer? And, and, like, that's the way it happens all throughout. All this stuff happens, but at the end of the last book, it's not just that the king is crowned and there's all that imagery about Christ, but what, what happens? Some of them go off to this land that's marked by Peace and the hobbits go back to the Shire, and it's it's a place of peace where where people get along and they they have like 27 meals in a day because there's breakfast and second breakfast and this and that and, and they're constantly smiling and running and the kids are always happy and why is that picture there? It's imagery of what it will look like after the end of all things because they even refer to it in the book, at the end of all things. But the end of all things isn't actually the end. It's the end of now, but the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth that's described for us in Isaiah 65. That's the picture. We've looked at that picture a number of times in the book of Daniel as we're pointed to that. Obviously, we read that in the book of Revelation as well, but they can't hear the sound of weeping or the sound of distress. You won't ever hear an ambulance siren. You won't ever hear a police siren. You won't ever hear a cry of distress because it will be a place of peace. but we still live in this world and this world can't be fixed by things that we do. Mommy, it can't be fixed. No, son, it can't. It needs to be recreated. Author Brian Chappell said, so certain are we that of that day that we can know the beauty of living this day by the seat of our pants. We can glory in faithful, bold, courageous courageous decisions in the face of uncertainty because the end is so certain and so good. God has it all mapped. He is never panicked. There are no emergency meetings in heaven. Our God says to us, go your way, live your life in the fullness of my service because you know that I know the end. In studying the book of Daniel, we learn it's not our calling to be the knight in shining armor and ride in on a white horse. Why is that not our calling? Somebody else already has that job. John the Apostle tells us who in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, he says, I saw heaven standing Open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Dr. Ian Dugood said, the day is coming when Jesus Christ will ride out to conquer and to recreate a day when the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. We must remember that the primary biblical image for the saints is not one of crusaders, but of martyrs. We live in a time between times. We're called to be faithful and to prepare for the end. Paul said this in encouragement. He said in in 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And the book of Daniel has shown us what this looks like. So as it says in verse 13, go your way till the end and you shall rest. And shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us a picture of the end. Lord, as I was growing up, the the end was always a time to, to be afraid of. But I pray, Father, as we look to the end, that we would prepare for the end. That we would anticipate the end rather than dread the end. Because as things get harder for us, that means we we are closer to seeing jesus face to face and i pray father for anyone here anyone listening from home or anyone maybe watching in the gym if they are not ready to meet you face to face if they're not ready for the great separation that's going to take place when jesus separates the sheep from the goats i pray lord that you would meet them right now and if you are in that place you can pray right now and receive the forgiveness for your sins by confessing and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray, God, that that would happen. And do that work, and and I know you're going to begin that work today and continue that work on. So I pray, God, as you continue that work on in all of us, that we would look with great anticipation for the day that you'll return and usher in your kingdom one that's marked by peace. We ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.